Hey Road Family, today we wrap up our series on gratitude. We have looked at how to be grateful for pain and how to be grateful for what God didn't do. Today, Pastor Rick shares four things that he is grateful to God for all the time. What are you grateful for? Enjoy this message and live for the challenge. Good morning. Grab a Bible, phone, something you can uh, look at God's Word with and open to the book of Colossians, the second chapter. The book of Colossians, the second chapter. Uh, That's a great song. First time I've heard that song. It's a really good song, man. Kind of stays with you. Uh, We've been in a series called Gratitude. We've talked about how to be grateful when life hurts, when you are living with pain. We've talked about how to be grateful for when God doesn't do what you wanted Him to, thankful for the things He didn't do. And today we're going to look at four things in our life that we need to be grateful for pretty much all the time, uh, that we just need to practice daily gratitude for. So if you'll follow along with me as we read in God's Word, beginning in verse 6, Chapter 2, book of Colossians. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. Would you pray with me? Uh, Father, we, uh, we're, we're getting ready to enter that week where our, mar- our minds and our hearts turn to... Um, to gratitude. And so, Father, we, we designed this service to kind of reflect on some things and think about some things that we just need to be grateful for. And, and the reality for a lot of people is uh, circumstances of life and the events of life sometimes make it hard to be grateful, Father. Uh, so give us a reset today. Help us to see clearly all that we had to be grateful for. And, Father, where we struggle, uh, Father, shine a light on those areas for us so that we can do work there. Uh, because we do believe, Father, gratitude for what you've done for us changes everything. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, four things. First one, I'm, I'm thankful that God is good. And, and, and we often say God is good, but I want you to think about the difference between saying that God is good and saying that so many other things in life are good. For, for instance, people say, Ben, you're a good guy. Well, are you? Yeah, that was a question. Are you really a good guy? Okay, we have one guy in here. <laughs> he is not. Are you a good person? Here, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead. Mark chapter 10, verse 18, right? Jesus said, no one is good except God. So understand when you say that's a good person, you're equating God to you. And those are two totally different things. We go in a restaurant and go, that was a good meal. Are you going to equate God to the quality of food you had in a restaurant? We watch a show and go, man, that's a good show. You're going to equate God to the show you watch? So when we say that God is good, there has to be more meaning behind that statement than what we understand when we talk about everything else in life. So here it is. When we say God is good, we mean that God's character is perfect. That it is a character in the essence of his being has not been touched or tainted or stained by sin. That's why we're not good. We've been touched by sin. God is perfect 
in His goodness. Listen to what Scripture says. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 34. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures forever. Jesus said, no one is good except God alone. Mark 10, 18. Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name, for the Lord is good. Psalm 25, 8. Good and upright is the Lord. So, this is huge theologically for us. If I could tell you that there's one thing that will change your life if you can make it a part of your faith system is the belief that cannot be shaken that God is good. And here is why. Because God is good, I can trust Him despite my circumstances. The truth about you and I is you can never really know whether we're going to be good or bad. Right, One minute we walk up to somebody and we're engaging with them and they're a good person. Next minute, we, we're Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde when it comes to that stuff. And so that affects everything. It affects how you parent, right? Your children will be afraid to come to you and be honest with you because they don't know whether you're going to respond in a good way or a bad way. Very clear memory of my daughter sitting down with me and saying, Dad, I need to tell you something. And she said, before I do, I want to ask you, please don't get mad. And I begin to think, that, that's why I'm not good. It's, listen, listen. My daughter could not trust what she was about to share with me that it would be handled in the right way. I'm not good. I'm not good. Marriages, right? Men, partners cannot share struggles with each other because you're just not sure that the response you get will be good. In life, we can't be transparent. At church, right? We can't be who we really are because you don't know if you share what's really going on in your life, whether the response you get from your church will be good or not. Our goodness is influenced by so many things, by circumstances, by mood, even seasons of life. And, and core uh, to our faith is being rooted in the reality that God is good. The problem is this life doesn't always feel like God is good. And we've talked about that. And so I want you to see what's going on many times when life doesn't feel like God is good. I'm going to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are there. It is perfect. It is perfect. They've got everything they need in abundance. Their marriage is perfect, right? Relationally, everything's perfect. Everything is wonderful in the Garden of Eden. They even have a great relationship with God. Nothing could be any better than it is. How do you get a person to choose sin when they're living in a perfect environment? Well, here's how. You make them question whether God is really good. And so watch this, Satan comes to Eve and she whisp he whispers, he's not as good as you think he is. Did he tell you if you taste that fruit, you will be like him? He's holding back on you, Eve. He's really not that good. And Eve bet. You go to Jesus, right? 40 days in the wilderness fasting and Satan comes to him to tempt him, right? So he tempts him with three things. Great riches, popularity, and power, right? That the, the world will worship you. Here's what he's saying to Jesus. Here's what your father called you to. He called you to death. Look at what I'm offering you. Right? He's not as good as you think he is, Jesus. 
He should have given you riches and he should have given you popularity and he should have given you power, but he gave you a cross. He's not as good as you think he is. So I'd have you stop for just a second and ask yourself this, is what you're going through right now in your life being used by Satan to make you question the goodness of God? Because it'll happen. It'll happen. And when we question, right, when, when we do not have a firmly established belief that God is good, then our faith is built on a house of cards. It'll crumble. It will crumble. Secondly, because God is good, I can live without the burden of having to have an answer for every question. Um, so when people describe me, they're never going to go, that was the smartest guy alive. That was the deepest guy alive. I'm, I'm simple. I am super, super simple. And once you can accept by faith that the very essence and being of God is good, it sets you free from having to answer every question. Hang with me. People come up to me often. Pastor, why'd God do this to me? You name it, fill in the blank, right? Why, why did my marriage end? Why am I sick? Why am I struggling financially? You, put, you fill in the blank. Why did God do this to me? Well, I'm going to tell you, I don't understand why life is filled with unfair things and injustices. I can't even tell you why the unfair things happen to me. I can't even look at my own life and go, oh yeah, I know why God did that. I don't, I don't know, but here, here's, here's how you survive. I believe that even though I may not understand what's happening to me, that my God is good. He is good. And our faith, my faith system is built on the belief that God is good. And once you grasp that and really believe that God is good, it sets you free in so many areas of life. Here's the last one. I love this one. I am grateful that God's goodness to me is not based on my performance. Because uh, I, listen, I, I would never make it. I would never make it. Um, Titus 3, 5, there's some great scripture in this. If you write scripture down, write this one down. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done. I ought to get an amen right there. That is amazing truth. He didn't look at me and go, you did a good job, you get into heaven. He looked at me and said, you'll never get to do a good job. The only way you're going to make heaven is if Jesus dies. I am so glad for the grace of God. The older I get, the more grateful I become that I'm saved by grace and not by works. Number two, I'm thankful that God is faithful. Um, for most of my life, I'm a performance-based guy. Um, my personality buys into that and, and, and produce and you're loved, right? Produce and you're loved. And so uh, I bought into a theological mindset that the closer I wanted to be to God, the more I had to do. And for a good two-thirds of my life, that's how I lived. So I worked hard, right? I wanted to pray more than anybody. I wanted to read more than anybody. I wanted to do more than anybody. I wanted to knock on doors. I wanted to give whatever I thought would win God's favor so that I would be close to God because, man, that's how life is, right? You get rewarded for what you do. And, and God surely got to be that way. But there's always that day when you don't feel like doing it, when you don't feel like praying, or you don't feel like doing you don't feel like reading your Bible. You don't feel like coming to church, right? There's always that day. And what happens if you die that day? 
What happens on the day that you don't feel close to God if your life ends and you weren't doing all the things that would make God love you? And eventually I came to the place in life where I realized that I'm not holding on to God, He's holding on to me. Uh, that my relationship with Him is based on His faithfulness, not my faithfulness. Listen to this verse, write it down. These are incredibly good verses. 2 Timothy 2.13 If we are faithless, and I expect y'all to do better on this question. Are you going to be faithless? Uh, just a whispering of answers over here. Is there going to be a day, a moment in your life when you're faithless? For everybody in the room, everybody in the room, there's going to be a moment when faith's hard to find. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. What an incredible verse. For He cannot deny Himself. Here's what that means. You're not holding on to Him. Your grip's not that good. He's holding on to you. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. Great story in the Old Testament in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, it, it, it's a great illustration of God's love and God's faithfulness uh, shown in the life of David. Uh, David, at this point in his life, chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, uh, he is king and uh, he had made a promise to a guy that he loved a lot named Jonathan that uh, once Jonathan died, if he ever do anything for his family, he would. So there was a day uh, Saul was king, Jonathan was his son, Mephibosheth, a kid named Mephibosheth, was Jonathan's son. And in a day, right, in a single day, Saul dies and Jonathan dies. And a nurse picks up Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, and begins to run from the palace, running for their life. She trips and falls, and the boy will never walk again his entire life. The Bible simply says he was crippled. They took him to the desert and hid him. And it's amazing what can happen in a day. In a day, a loved one will die. In a day, a doctor's report delivers bad news. In a day, the check can bounce maybe two or three times. In a day, divorce papers are issued. In a day. And so much can happen in a day that will strip us of our ability to be thankful. Even to the point that we don't feel like gathering around the table with people doesn't seem fair and it doesn't seem right. So what is there to be thankful for? The cruelties of life can suck gratefulness right out of our heart. But we're back to David. David made this promise. And so he, he looks at his servants. He says, is there anybody left in Jonathan's family that I can show mercy to? He said, there's one guy, one guy that's left. His name's Mephibosheth. But David, you need to know this. He's crippled. He's living out in the middle of the desert, hiding out. David said, go, go bring him to me. And the scripture says that his servant Ziba went out, found Mephibosheth. Now I want you to play this out in your mind. You've been hiding because everybody in your family is dead. You can't walk and these soldiers come in and say, we're taking you to the king. And what's going through your mind? And the scripture says that scene unfolded like this, that the halls of the palace opened up, right? 
And Mephibosheth is going to stand before the king. I want you to pause for a second because there's some stuff the Bible doesn't tell us that I wonder about. Military lining the halls of that palace. King David on the throne. And, and, and as far as you're concerned, you're Mephibosheth. He's angry at you. And you begin to walk in before the king. What did it sound like when a crippled man walked? Did he have crutches? Did you hear the wood of those crutches as it hit the marble of that palace floor? Was there just absolute silence other than that sound? Did he crawl in? Did they drop him inside that entrance and say, good luck? What the Bible does tell us is that when he got before the king, he laid down on the floor and said, have mercy on me. And David looked at him and he said this. Don't be afraid. Here's reality. Dude hadn't known nothing but fear his entire life. He's hiding out in the desert. The greatest words he had ever heard were, you don't have to be afraid anymore. And then he said this to him. You'll never have to worry about another meal in your life because you will be seated at my table every time my family gathers. You will be as a son to me. God's love God's faithfulness. And in case you missed it, you in that story, you are the crippled man. Standing before a king of which you should be afraid. Who looks at you and says to you, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Not only will I put food on your table, but I will make you a son in my family. I am grateful for the faithfulness and the love of God to me. Third thing, I, I'm thankful for my relationships. Um, it's deer season, right? All you guys were online right now. If you're out in the woods hunting, thanks for tuning in. Hope you don't get anything, but thanks for tuning in, right? <laughs> Should have been at church today. So I have a son who had rather hunt than eat. And uh, I mean, he could he could live in the outdoors and uh, he drew out on a, a pretty rare hunt. Only 30 people in the state of Oklahoma get this hunt and he drew out on it. And uh, he calls me up and says, Dad, I'm going down to Broken Bow. Well, I've been lost one time in my life in the woods, one time in my life. And it was in the Washita Mountains. And I made myself a promise. I'll burn this place down before I get lost again. It was not a pleasant experience. I'll have a lighter in my pocket. Watch for the smoke. Because that's where I'll be. So he's down there. So I have anxiety, right? He's loading up, going by himself to a place he's never been before to go into the mountains. And in my mind, I got a million questions about that whole thing. And so I'm texting him like, do you see anything? Do you see anything? That's what he's getting. But what I'm thinking is, are you still alive? Are you still alive? So he goes down on Friday and I text him a few times. And uh, Friday night, I call him just to talk about the hunt. And I said, where you at? He said, I'm in the freezer of the Pizza Hut in Idabel, Oklahoma. There's a tornado going over Idabel, Daddy. Well, now I'm losing my mind, right? 
And by the way, for those of you who don't know the context of this, I've already had one person in my family die. And so I live with the reality that anybody in my family can die. And so I, I am like, I got my computer out and I'm looking at the radar and I'm trying to figure out where is this tornado and are you in the path of it? Because I don't trust the freezer at Pizza Hut. He goes, Dad, I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be all right, Dad. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be all right. And, and, you know, then cell service doesn't work and just your mind goes wild. And, uh, and he survived. That's the good news. Um, he gets up the next morning to go hunt. And we're texting stuff. He kept, starts home and he's driving home. And I called him. I said, hey, let's talk about this. And we talked. And he said to me, he said, Daddy, I won't, I won't ever do this again. I won't ever do this again. So you won't ever do why? He said, I won't ever go by myself again. He said, it just wasn't any fun. He said, we, we need people with us. And I'm like, you're getting it, son. We're created for relationships. And there are three I want to thank God for. The first one, the first one is my wife. God gave me a good mate. Uh, Proverbs 31.10 says, an excellent wife is worth far above jewels and the heart of her husband trust her he'll have no lack of gain she does him good not evil all the days of his life my wife and i spent some time talking this weekend we talked about the crazy sets of circumstances that brought us both together and they were crazy and they were painful but i'm going to tell you to me she is beautiful and she is the most merciful and good person i've ever met i have never met anybody who will lay their life down for other people like she does. And I'm going to tell you this, you got a better pastor because God gave her to me. Because I wouldn't be half the man I am right now if it wasn't for the woman God put in my life. That's right. That's right. And what did the psalmist say? The wisest man, or the proverb, Solomon, Solomon wrote this, the wisest man ever lived, what did he say? If you got a good wife, you're a rich man. Don't you let that sink in. You got a good mate. You're a rich person. I'm grateful for who God gave me. Second thing I'm grateful for is the family God gave me. Uh, Psalm 127 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of His womb is a reward. Uh, I'm pretty sure if you set my kids down right now and they're all adults and said, Hey, do you feel like your daddy treated you like you was a gift? <laughs> they're probably going to say no. Uh, they, uh, our, our house is just like your house. And I want you to hear, hear this. There are frustrations at our house and there are expectations that are not met at our house and there are personalities that clash at our house. But tell you, when I, when I make my list of things that I'm grateful for, my kids and my mama are always on it. My mama's in her 89th year. And I'm really, really grateful she's still part of my life. I am grateful that I don't have to do this life alone. Um, so listen, here, here's what I'm telling you. I know you got craziness in your family. All of us do. Even though you got craziness in it, be grateful that you're not going through this life by yourself. Number three, I'm grateful for the friends God has given me. Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 11, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe, woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. I am grateful that when I fell, there were people to lift me up. 
I'm grateful that there were people God put in my life to pray for me and encourage me and tell me not to quit when I wanted to quit. I'm glad there are people who gave to me and loved me and walked with me through some hard things in life. I'm grateful for the friends God gave me. Fourth and final thing. I'm grateful for my church. Psalm 122.1 says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm grateful that I have a church that I'm excited to go to every week. I look forward to this every single week. I'm grateful. I, I'm, I'm grateful we're at a place that doesn't fight. Do you know how valuable that is? That we can worship and there's not a war going on at the same time. I'm grateful. Look right up here at me. Don't check out on me. Don't check out on me yet. I know you can put your stuff up, but make sure you get this. I am grateful that this is a church who understands that not everybody lives like a follower of Jesus. And we love them anyway. I am grateful that we don't give up on anybody. Right? No matter how far they seem from God, we don't, we don't give up. I'm grateful that we meet needs. And I understand we can't meet every need, but we can meet a lot of needs. And I'm grateful for the heart of a church that does that. This weekend, we were on, or this past week, we were on staff retreat. We were doing some work under the title of The Science of Connection. And we did a lot of talking, a lot of uh, connecting with each other to learn how to better connect with you. And one of the questions that my wife looked at me and asked me that was a part of this is, what, are, what in life are you most proud of? It was a hard question for me to answer. Um, you know, there's, there's the default answer. Well, I'm proud of my kids. Well, yeah, we, that should be an answer, right? But what are you really proud of? And I sat there for a long time and I couldn't come up with anything. And then it hit me. What I was most pr proud of is this church. And the people that you are. What God has done here. And the community He's created. And I said, listen, this is it for me. This is it. This is that thing I look at in life and go, this was worth it. This was worth it. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a moment. This is the part of our service that we call the invitation. And uh, you know, again, I'm a, I'm a really simple guy. That means to invite. And so what are we inviting you to do today? We're inviting you to be grateful. Right, that this is just a reset day, an opportunity to be grateful. What does that look like? Well, we've done this every year for the past several years. We have encouraged our people to break up in groups and just take a minute and share with the people around you, man, this is what I'm really grateful for. This is what God has blessed me with. And if you're part of this church, I want you to make sure nobody's sitting alone. Right? If you're a member, regular tender, you see somebody, you get up, you go to them. Nobody, nobody sits alone. Nobody. I'm going to pray. And then I want you to move. Turn around, get up and go wherever you need to go. Find some people that you can have a few moments with and go, let me tell you what I'm grateful for this year. Father, thank you for being so very, very good to us. Father, thank you that we have something to be grateful for. Father, bless this time and give us the, 
the freedom to share. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us at The Road. If you'd like more information about things going on at Choctaw Road Baptist Church, visit us at theroad.tv or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theroadcrbc. Have a great week.